85 and 95% of men and women after the age of 30 never sprint again. The first thing I think about when it comes to sprinting, it brings me back to the days when I was a kid and when you're out there playing around and you know, you're busting around, hey, hey, I bet you I can beat you to the mailbox. But as you sprint at your top end speed, you're increasing that sprint capacity higher, okay? And as you increase, there's this other thing that we like to talk about speed reserve. As you increase your top end speed, your speed reserve comes up as well. That's the benefit of one of the, of the benefits of adding a little dose of it. And then it's gonna be a new stimulus to the body. And at the end of the day, whether it's a sprint event or mid distance event, long distance event, the fastest runner wins the race. I think if you're truly gonna be a competent distance runner, we need to know how to sprint. Hey guys, welcome to the Run Free Podcast where we talk about training using our holistic five principles. These are the principles we use every day in our training programs. At Run Free Training, we offer online coaching programs where you get a personal coach, you get access to our nutritionist, Joe Butler, the form analysis with our 1% coach, Mitchell Robertson. You get access to our online e-course that teaches you about each of the Holistic Five principles. Coaching packages are only $199.99 with a six month commitment. And with that, you also get 30 days of free coaching. You can sign up for coaching by creating a profile in our athlete portal. Find the link in our podcast description or head on over to runfreetraining.com. DM us on Instagram or sign up for a free consultation on the website if you have more questions about the next step. All right. Well, welcome to the Run Free Podcast. I am super excited, honored, thrilled, uh, ecstatic. So many words to describe today because I get to intro Bradley Moon. And uh, one of the projects we've been working on for over a year now is Sprint Free. And Sprint Free is basically the sister to Run Free for sprinters. And I've known Bradley for, uh, I think, close to 15 years. Uh, we, when I was coaching in college, he was an athlete, a sprinter, ran really well in college, and has coached a bunch of high school athletes, a bunch of uh, uh, youth, and also some age group athletes that are like uh, diamonds in the rough. Um, people who are over in 30, over 40, and finished with their collegiate careers and still want to sprint. So uh, excited that Sprint Free is launched. There are athletes and excited to chat all things sprinting today. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, that, that sounds good right there. I appreciate that nice intro, Jay. <laughs> yeah, man. It's my pleasure, dude. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. Bradley, so welcome to the podcast, first of all. Um, obviously, like a huge amount of our, our listeners are distance runners. So tell us a little bit, I think, about like sprinting. Like, I, you know, for me, it's like when I think about running, I think of like being out on a trail, like aesthetic views. What is it about sprinting that kind of gets you excited that you feel passionate about? Well, I think the, the first thing I think about when it comes to sprinting, it brings me back to the days when I was a kid and when you're out there playing around and, you know, you're busting around. Hey, hey, I bet you I can beat you to the mailbox. Right. Yeah. And you just line up, you know, you don't have any shoes on your barefoot and. 
I bet you I can beat you to the mailbox and you and you sprint to see who can who can get to the mailbox first, right? And so I think of sprinting as is something that I mean we all used to do growing up when we're running around trying to be chased and or just beat someone that's in our neighborhood. But I, what I fell in love with sprinting is because there's so many aspects of it that uh, can be applied not just as for sprinters but also for athletes in general um, and I think that's what we'll talk more about today but I fell in love with it brother uh, a quick quick backstory about me was I was actually a, a baseball guy before I, I actually got into track and field and I think it was because during the the early 90s the Atlanta Braves were really good and so my parents stuck me into some sports like that to hey I guess you want to do baseball then I was playing football, and then fast forward to when I got in high school, I um, we got a new coach, and he said, well, we're just going to want you to run bases for for the team. And I'm like, well, I've been playing. Why why should I just, just run bases? And the coach, the track coach, said, you need to just be running track. You, you'd be great. It's great for football, all that good stuff. And so I went. My senior year in high school, I started sprinting. That's when I first started being a – because a sprinter and I fell in love with it it was I mean it's nice to to run fast and to beat people and so then you know went to went to college and all that stuff and got to do that so I, I found that sprinting uh, for me has something that I've I've learned to love and to in growing in that so I think truly as we will continue to talk more about it today is just that is something that we all should be doing, whether we're athletes or not. And I think we can get into some of those those uh, conversations. Hey, yeah. what's that? What's that stat that you and I were talking about the other day? It's something like uh, beyond age thirty, like ninety percent of people never sprint again. Yeah, there was there was something on Reddit. You know, they didn't have their their source there, but in Reddit it said eighty five and ninety five percent of men or women after the age of thirty never sprint again. That's crazy. Yeah, that is wild. And Jay, I know you said that that your one of your goals is to sprint. I don't know if there's a frequency to it, but essentially that you want to sprint consistently, like through this, you know, through the aging process. Yeah, and and uh, one of the things. Um, one of the things I love about Bradley and we've always seen eye to eye is the spirit of the sport, like the depth of it and the reason why we want to do it. We want to do it to learn about ourselves. We want to do it to grow as people. And then coaching wise, we want to do it to benefit people with knowledge that we have. And uh, as a distance coach, like I sought out Bradley a couple of years ago to help me with a couple of my athletes. And I think if you're truly going to be a competent distance runner, we need to know how to sprint. And I think that's where the value is in like expanding your knowledge. We need to know how to lift. We need to know how to sprint. Mm -hmm. We need to know how to do all these other skills and looking at the sport of running, looking at sprinting as more of a skill rather than Chad, I think we have the bad habit as distance athletes of looking at it as just physiology. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's just, you put in the work and you get out the result 
Whereas the sprint world looks at it way more as mm-hmm. a skill sport. And yeah. so that that's what's drawn me into like getting better at learning from Bradley and other coaches that, hey, sprinting is a skill. Well, distance running is a skill as well. Yeah. And I, I, I think this conversation comes at an interesting time for me because I like like Bradley, you're talking about that passion coming from when you're younger. And I think we all naturally when we're young, like can sprint, like you can just run around, you know, the, the playground, do whatever, like our bodies are just a little bit more agile. And then it's like, especially after distance running for, you know, decades, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, that ability to just sprint out of nowhere just disappears. And I found yeah. myself in this position of like, Oh, man, I have to like regenerate that speed that I once had. Um, so Bradley, have you, have you worked with athletes who started sprinting like later in life and had to like, kind of, you know, I don't want to say start from scratch, but start from like, uh, maybe a little bit less flexible, a little bit less powerful. Correct. Um, when, when you were, when you were talking about it, it made me think about sprinting comes in a lot of forms and sizes. It's not when I, I think sometimes we think that sprinting says, okay, well, I'm going to do a, a flying 30 or a 40 or 60 meter sprint. But in the beginning of someone who is just fresh and wanting to start implementing sprinting, that could be just a 10 meter sprint. All you can do for 10 meters or, or to 20 and yeah. walk back and do it again. <laughs> and no, I'm serious. I, yeah, know it yeah. sounds, I know it sounds silly, but it's, it's the truth. And usually what I've seen in most of the older or people out of college when I've trained them is they say, Hey, I want to start sprinting. I say, okay, well, we, we warm up, we do all the, the little things that we need to do to get the body warm. And we'll just do, let's do 20, let's do 20 meters and just see how you feel and walk back. Um, and as you progress and slowly, and that's the thing, taking your time and not in a, being in a rush and, and just starting where you're at. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. You, you want to see where the, the athlete or is at and then work that way. So typically what I would do with someone fresh is do something like 20s at first and see how they feel. How you feel after those three or four? I, I feel I feel pretty good. You know, all right, well, let's try 30. OK. And then uh, 30 was a little was a little much. OK, well, we're done. And that's it. We're done. No more sprinting. Right. So. It's just starting somewhere, as, and I think just implementing where you see fit uh, is what I suggest to anybody who's trying to start out in sprinting. You know what blew my mind as I've gotten to know your sprinting philosophy better and as I've started to understand sprinting better? What blew my mind was the amount of rest that you take in between sprinting. Correct. And so as distance runners – Dude, we are like, you asked us to sprint for 150, 150 meters. Like we're ready to go again in like 30 to 45 <laughs> seconds. Chad, oh, would you agree? I would agree. Yeah. I would, I, <laughs> and I have a question about that. Is it's as distance runners, if we're not trained at sprinting, are we lacking some amount of attention, intentionality to be able to expend? Like, you, like I imagine a sprinter can expend a huge amount of energy in like a very short period of time. I would imagine as distance runners, we like probably have a very limited capacity to even do that. So we don't feel super fatigued because we're not like 
you know, really actually putting a lot of force into the ground. Does that, does that sound correct? Well, I would, before I say that, I want to go to finish up with what Jay was talking about. I have a, a interesting story about a, a distance runner. He, he asked me the, he was, I think I should implement some sprinting in my uh, training. And I said, okay, that, that sounds fantastic. We, you should, you should do that. And he said, so, so coach, tell me, uh, what should we do? What should I do? I said, do forties and sixties and you should be fine. And then he said, do I, so how many do I do? And, uh, I said, just do four. And he said, okay. He said, how long, uh, how long recovery? I said, take six to eight minutes. He was like, <laughs> six to eight like minutes. What, what am I going to do for six to eight minutes? <laughs> and, he, and he, and he asked, he said, coach, are you, are you serious? <laughs> I'm like, yep, I am. And so we began to dive deeper into, to why the recovery, because if you're, it's a high intensity type of, you know, a sprint is very high intensity. So you want to make sure that you're properly recovered. Now to go back to chat, what you're talking about, um, there's about six to eight seconds that, um, athletes have uh, whether whether you're a sprinter or a distance runners you know atp free energy that stuff that we naturally have in our body and you can you, that's free energy that you can tap for it's typically six to eight some research says six to ten but in that time frame that you can run as hard as you can and you're not going to deplete any type of other tap it into your lactate or type of aerobic system all these type of things um is about six to eight seconds typically is what you get free energy. It's like you, if you, you, if you don't use it, you lose it type of type of deal. Nice. Yeah. Jay and I were talking about that a little bit the other day and even like effects on body composition from sprinting. But so let's, let's get into that a little bit. Just kind of lay out for a distance. Let's just use a distance runner since that's most of our listeners, a distance runner who's not currently sprinting as a part of their program. And I think that we can like kind of pull strides out of that, right? Because strides are not necessarily the same thing as doing like proper sprint training. Um, what are going to be some of the positive effects? Like we're talking about the skill building, like what are going to be the positive effects that one would maybe garner from doing some sprint training and as a part of their program? Okay. So my suggestion, I know this kind of goes into a lot of other things, but the first thing I would find is, at least finding one day a week where you're sprinting. And typically what I've shared with other distance runners is whatever your training is, find that your easy day or something that's not real taxing. Maybe that's a long run for, you know, 45 to 60 minutes, something that's real easy that you're, you know, at a steady state, something that's a recovery run. And I would do um, sprints, beforehand before you went into your long recovery because it, what we have to remember is you want to be fresh when you're sprinting and and so you want to make sure that you tap it because you're actually working two different systems of the body so you want your 45 to 60 minute recovery run won't be affected by those three or four sprints that you do because you're working two different systems mm. so um my suggestion would be um is implement it once a week um, is what I'm telling people because it, it's 
because you're going to increase your sprinting capacity. So a good example, what I like to use is we'll take a truck. A truck can probably run, say, 160 miles per hour. That's the top end speed of what a truck can move, right? That truck, typically, if you're abiding by the law, you won't reach 100. That truck won't reach 160 miles per hour. But that truck has the capacity to, to do that for a short, short period of time because you can only hold your sprint speed or top end speed for less than three seconds, okay? That's a side note. But as you sprint at your top end speed, you're increasing that sprint capacity higher, okay? You following me? Mm -hmm. And as you increase, there's this other thing that we'd like to talk about speed reserve. As you increase your top end speed, your speed reserve comes up as well. So that means, if that truck is at 160, you could probably do 100 miles per hour. That truck could do 100 miles an hour all day long, right? So that's the benefit of one of the, of the benefits of adding a little dose of it. And then it's going to be a new stimulus to the body. And at the end of the day, whether it's a sprint event or mid-distance event, long-distance event, the fastest runner wins the race, right? Uh, I know you guys know more about more research on like the last lap coming around from a, a you know, a, a 1500 and how fast those guys are coming on that last lap. Yeah. It's a dead off sprint. And so that's, that is why I was telling Jay about how, how important it is to implement some type of sprinting, uh, so in sprinting inside the, you know, the long distance running uh, training yeah. because it's, I think it's very vital. And, and the only reason I know that cause I only speak from experience is the athlete that I, one of the athletes that sprint free that we coach, he's a eight mile guy and we spent a lot of time sprinting and now you can see it. And we pumped a lot of speed into him last year. And this year we're doing a lot more, um, uh, Max, uh, maximum steady state running, continuous running, all these different types of things, because that's what his event uh, entails. But if you watch him run, you can just tell the speed of has been implemented. And now we can actually do what his body truly needs in those type of events. That, that brings me to the idea of mechanics. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's really what you're talking about is, developing an athlete and that's been a conversation um not just in sprinting not just in distance running but in sports as a whole as as we're developing athletes and this goes for high school and in developmental primarily but i do think we can backtrack on this even like chad as you were saying someone that's older and wants to get back into athletic movement mm -hmm. like dude that's how you don't get injured correct that's how your running form is better that's how your economy improves is your skill and your mechanics and so right. that's you know chad one of my goals is to sprint every week and and to lift and to do olympic lifts and to create this scenario where i'm 70 at some point and i'm still in the weight room and i'm still mm -hmm. going to track and I still have athletic movements. It's like we forget these athletic movements. And I love the idea of 
trying to continue to develop um, the skill, the Correct. skill matters, the skill of being able to do a squat properly, the skill of being able to drive and have good uh, back end action, good forward action, uh, good hand placement, good pop off the ground. Like those are the things to me that are exciting in terms of longevity and also development for high school and younger athletes. Yes, that's correct. If I can add to that piece, like if your listeners are wondering like, okay, well, what can I do to work on, you know, my biomechanics, you know, what are something that I can do? Um, it's the famous wicket drill um, where you, um, it was actually invented by Vince uh, Vince Anderson, who was a uh, sprint coach for Texas A&M Law, you know, and now I think he just probably coached professional athletes now. But it's a drill where you can have hurdles. They're very low hurdles. You can do it with cones. It doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. And you set them up, probably walk for your feet, probably three to four steps, three and a half, depending on, you know, just the size of the shoe. And you walk them out and you have your athletes go over them because what it does, it teaches the proper stacking of the torso or neutral spine and allowing them to work on those biomechanics as a, as it's called the wicket drill. Mm -hmm. And you can find it online. I mean, there's different variations of it, but that is one thing that when you're talking about how does a distance runner work on sprinting mechanics, the wicket drill is, is phenomenal and many uh, coaches from the professional level and collegiate level, even high school level, use those type of drills to work on um, just the technique of top in or, you know, upright positioning. So with that, you're trying to step over like a six inch? Yeah, the lowest, like a six inch, something that you can, you're not jumping over it, you're gradually running. So the lowest hurdles that you could possibly find mm. is what you want. Because it's going to, it's, it's forcing your body. And that's the thing about uh, this is, there's just so much that you can really get into, but you're, you're actually telling the body to put, put it, you're naturally putting the body into that sprinting form without you forcing, like you forcing it. Like when, when coaches say, Hey, I need you to do like this, right. Or like that, but running over that wicket naturally puts you in that form It's your body naturally does that. And so you're actually teaching without having vocal cues to an athlete. Does that make sense? Yeah. So to me, that's similar to chat, a conversation we had in another podcast with Ryan about hill training, where mm -hmm. we were talking about um, putting distance athletes on uh, short six to 10 second hill repeats to mimic that same idea. So where do you put, where do you put those hill repeats in the sprint program? So I usually, during hill sprints is usually during general prep. So the off season is when we would do hill sprints, um, depending on the block period. But in the, in the beginning of the year, uh, we'll do hill sprints. That could be just one out of the four days that we train, it'll be one of those days or sled pulls or anything where you're, you're getting that type of, of push where you have to push up or pull something is typically what what we do, but hill sprints are really good. And I, I like those during the off season. Yeah. Interesting. Um, to go back a little bit to your talk about the drill stuff, because I do think that's cool when you can 
do a drill or hills or something that like puts your body in a good position without having to like overthink it. Right. It's kind of, I feel like when you just give somebody a cue and it's like, just do this with your hips, like that is so hard to get to take effect. Um, and, uh, our guy, Mitchell Robertson, who's our 1% coach said something about, I think he was telling me about like a sprints routine. And he was saying essentially like the drills were like half the workout. He's like, a sprinter thinks about this, like the drills are the workout rather than like mm. distance runners. I think we often think about like the drills and strides. That's all just like rush through those. That's a prerequisite to just get to my workout. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah. like how, how, how do you view like drills in general? Cause obviously like you're saying it's a skills development thing when you're working on sprint speed. So like, are the drills like a big component of the sprint training, like as a whole? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the A skip and the B skip is literally what you're doing when you're sprinting. Yeah. <laughs> <And> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's everything that you do. And that's the thing at, at sprint free about purposeful training is that everything that you're doing has the purpose of like, like you're talking about is the warm up is geared for your body to sprint when you're doing an A skip or you're doing straight leg shuffle or straight leg bounds. All of that is priming your body to get ready to sprint which is why those are fantastic drills to do um and there and and that helps us get ready for a sprint workout yeah and that's if we and i with young development athletes that i i deal with majority of those athletes are high school athletes is is drill work teaching them how to do drills and and then once they get comfortable then you see them the speed gets faster with the drill there's an, a bounce because sprinters are bouncy mm -hmm. they're very elastic and we can get to talk about more about why uh, that is and, and all that but um you have to prime those drills the basic drills uh, now they don't they they are very very helpful um especially in the beginning of developmental athletes so it's it's a it's a necessity truly yeah. I think that was eye opening to me. Like when I was trying to do triathlons and I got into swimming without a swim background and it was mm -hmm. like, I, and I think people like to Jay's point, don't think about running being a skilled sport, but I think it just is different. Cause like in swimming, you have drag, so you can try as hard as you want, but if you're not swimming correctly, like you're just not going to go fast. You might even go slower by swimming harder. Mm -hmm. And I think in some extent, that's kind of true for running as well, where it's like, if you're not doing it in a skillful way, you can waste effort all over the place. And I think of like, it seems like a lot of drills that we do are about like hamstring and like glute activation, like getting your foot down underneath you. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and Jay, maybe you can speak to this, like why we don't do that so well as distance runners, if we're not training the sprinting, like, do you have any thoughts about like why we tend to like, it seems like it's maybe an efficiency thing. Like maybe we try, like we get kind of lazy because your body's just trying to be efficient about it. So, so I've got a couple of opinions on that. Um, one is the fact that in distance running, it's so heavily skewed towards economy the longer mm -hmm. you get and the sprint form is not economical over a marathon like and so i think we've we've gotten in this weird scenario where 
you know, I think of like Abdi Abdurrahman, who's got that low shuffle. Mm -hmm. And you compare him to Elliot Kipchoge. Mm -hmm. And then like even one of our coaches, Rory Linkletter, has a little bit of an in-between form between those two. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, how are all three of these people successful? Mm -hmm. Right? What, What in the world is going on here? And I think a large part of that is uh, there are different forms that relate to different distances and that can be successful in different scenarios. That doesn't absolve that person from improving their skill. And so as like the lay person watching this, you're like, well, their form is this, their form is that. And then there's a third form. So maybe it just doesn't matter. When in Mm. fact, I think it does matter a ton. And I know that Rory works on his form a ton. He's super economical. He's also super fast. Yeah. I mean, he's really fast. Yeah, he's like in four minute mile shape. So I gotta think that there's still like, even if you look shuffly and like same with Obdi too, right? Like I would think there's still gotta be this like underlying efficiency from just being fast, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. So so I think think you said that looks can be deceiving. Mm -hmm. And then you take like somebody like Paul Chalimo Mm -hmm. who has like this really bouncy, gosh, he almost has a sprinter form, but you look at him Paul's torso is like seven inches long. Yeah. And his, his mm-hmm. legs, Bradley knows Paul, his yeah. legs are like so long. Mm-hmm. And then so he's going to have a more bouncy stride just by function of his torso and leg proportion and also his body weight. Mm-hmm. So I, I just feel like we can't use that as an excuse. Yeah. Um, We can't look at someone else's form and say, well, mine doesn't need to improve. I'm a little bit shuffly. So I'm kind of absolved from creating this skill. I think that's when it becomes finding somebody like Mitchell, finding somebody like Bradley and engaging with them and saying, hey, here is my form. What should I do to improve? And that's like the old saying, uh, what is it? The the thief of joy is comparison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. being careful of comparing you to someone else instead, like really understanding, Hey, this is a skill. This is mm-hmm. one that I can improve myself And it. And it, the reason that is the case, I think is your tendons, ligaments, bone structure is lined up differently for everyone. Correct. So anyway, that's yeah. that's just my thought on why psychologically we think it doesn't matter as much. But in fact, like I know all those guys, they're working on their form all the time. And that's why they're so good. Yeah, it's uh, like I, I really love this conversation because it's like you have to train the athlete that's in front of you. And with all of their different, you know, physical constraints or different how they move. And like you were talking about, Jay, is is super important and not pumping a certain model down their throat when their body may not be accustomed to doing so. And so it's uh, it makes me think about just some of the like the non-negotiables like, you know, yeah, Many people may not run like Paul Chalimo, but there are certain things in biomechanics 
that are non-negotiable that has to happen in order to run efficient, right? Like the the couple off the top of my head, as I mentioned it before, is the stacked torso, making sure your, your torso is tacked, neutral spine, having a flex ankle, especially from a sprinting, uh, sprinting form or just running, having a flexed ankle, scissoring the thighs. There's these are there's certain non-negotiables that from bi from a biomechanical standpoint that has to be has to be done. And just those are just a couple that um that you that that we all naturally have to do. Well and from a sprinting standpoint with form, I think about like Michael Johnson mm -hmm. versus Usain Bolt versus like Maurice Green. Mm -hmm. Like those are three and and obviously I'm um, citing like old people uh, but uh but those are yeah, three like very well-known top performers in the world that run completely different but you also have three different heights of guys and three different leg lengths and torso lengths and all mm -hmm. that i just love i mean that's kind of what we're all about is coaching the individual like Correct. that's exciting to be able to coach the individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I, I want to do a little analogy and this will be our final bit on convincing the endurance runner that they should do sprint <laughs> training. But I was just thinking about like kind of that whole thing of sprinting, how that affects distance running. And I was thinking about, I would edit photos and I'd be balancing colors. And sometimes I'd crank the saturation like all the way up, right? Like looks disgusting, but I'm just trying to see where everything lies, right? And then I mess with the colors and I bring them back down. And I think maybe it's kind of the same concept when we're talking about sprinting. It's like you take your biomechanics, crank it up to 11, right? With sprinting, see where you're at, like evaluate it, right? Like, cause I think all those weaknesses probably come out when you're trying to sprint, um, like address it in that kind of like amped up atmosphere. And then you could bring it back down and all those efficiencies like should kind of like come back to like your, you know, marathon pace, half marathon pace, 10 K paces. Correct. Yeah. Um, okay. So we hopefully sufficiently <laughs> sold you guys on sprint training. Uh, so let's get into a little bit more. So we talked about, you know, a bit of how to start up. You were talking about 40, you said 40 or 60 meter sprints one day a week to get started. Correct. Yeah. It's, it's something like, you know, I want to go back to, you know, those are just what I, I see high school athletes and typically we start at, you know, 30 or 40, but you know, it can be 20. Like I, I, I want to, I want to make sure that, that we are, that we're hitting it on the head because it doesn't have to be a 40 meter, a dash. It could be a 10 or 20 just to see how you feel and then progress, progress. So, so, so that 10 or 20, uh, that seems to me, like a super safe way to start. Correct. It's super, it's super safe. And, and I actually, it's, I love it because the uh, sprint free just got a new athlete and uh, he's been a, a distance runner, but he wants to do the 800 more and he's never sprinted before. Never, <laughs> never, wow. never. And, and so he says, coach, you know, I haven't sprinted and before. And I said, Oh, that's okay. Well, I'm glad you're here because we're gonna we're gonna start doing some of that, and I can't I can't tell this young this young man that uh, hey we're gonna do 60s today. He he's he's probably gonna blow a gasket. 
But hey, let's let's do 20. And you know what? I want you to kind of build into it. I feel good, coach. Okay. All right. Let's let's do it again. Let's do it again. He says, I'm feeling good, coach. All right. You, you wanna you wanna try maybe 30? Yeah, let's do that. So it's a safe, it's it's a safe place to start shorter and then work. Because at the end of the day, and I, I think we're, we we want to make sure we keep the athletes uh, injury free, right? That's the goal, right? I think if if we could solve it, we could if there was some if someone knew how to magically keep athletes injury free, you know, all year round, that's that'll be the coach's dream. So we have to make sure that we keep that um, at the forefront of our mind. So yeah, so. 20s, 30s, depending on your sprinting level. If you never sprinted before, I would say 10s or 20s are a safe way uh, to start adding sprint training into your program. So I have this vision in my mind. If you guys have ever seen uh, these videos of uh, people trying to beat the freeze, do y'all, you, I know Bradley, you know, do you know what that freeze. is? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, that's so. a baseball game. Uh, Bradley and I actually know the freeze. Yeah, but, yeah, he was on the four by one team. Yeah, but uh, it, at baseball games all over the country now, they have this thing where you run on the warning track and you try to beat a sprinter. Like oh, they just okay. pull somebody out of the crowd. It's so interesting, Bradley. To your point of that top end speed with someone, and these are people that probably haven't sprinted for 10, 15, 20 years. Oh, and they gosh. just they just throw them out on the warning track and they try to beat this sprinter. It's mm. so interesting because they actually start out for like 20 or 30. They look fine. Mm-hmm. And then, and then they get to 80, 60, 80, a hundred <laughs> and they fall down. Yeah. And it's what it's doing is that's exposing the fact that inside of all of us is still that child likeness that mm-hmm. we started the conversation with to be able to sprint for a really short period of time, 10, 20 meters. Mm-hmm. Like it's still there and cultivating it safely, I think is the problem that most people run into. They mm-hmm. go into with this like huge attitude. I'm, I'm going to do hundreds or 200 meter sprints. That's why I love your approach, Bradley, because I feel like it's like, calculated it's safe it's well thought out even for somebody if you're 30 or 40 and you're like Mm -hmm. hey i want to be a hybrid athlete and get back into sprinting and lifting like that is a possibility that's a real possibility for you it just has to be done with somebody like bradley that knows what they're doing to where you don't get sent out you don't get sent out (laughs) against the freeze and hit your face on the uh, on the warning track and and two, it's you know, going back to, and if they're even afraid of just sprinting, you'd be surprised how much jumping and plyometrics actually plays a, a huge piece into the sprinting aspect of it, of just like doing jump rope and building the elasticity to to sprint. You know, if you're if you're I always tell me if you don't want to try to sprint or you're just real maybe maybe not right now. Let's do jumping, do some jump rope, do some certain things that get you bouncing because sprinting is naturally you bounce as you sprint. And so building up those type of stiffness in your, in your legs and in your body is also another, is a, is an alternative for sprinting, 
Okay. So um, jumping is also a good point too. So, so what exactly is going on there? Cause it's interesting. I've been trying to get the speed going again and it's funny to me that like I've been dealing with a lot of tightness that I think I've just built up over the years. And uh, I will have a little bit of that intrepidation about sprinting. I think like for a lot of distance runners who experience like chronic tightness, like the idea of just going and sprinting does seem, uh, can seem intimidating. And like, we've talked about this with Mitchell about people with post injuries who may have some intrepidation about putting like full force to the ground. So I think for one, that's a really great idea to keep it real short. Cause that's such a bite-sized nugget. I feel like mm -hmm. it's hard to get intimidated by 20 meters. Um, but also, so like whenever as, as I've gotten back into doing more speed work, I'm surprised that like, initially I'll feel pretty tight and then like my stride will start to feel looser. And I'll feel like more engagement with my muscles. Like I'll feel better throughout the workout. And I think by nature being an endurance athlete, like it takes me a little while to get there, like maybe for mm -hmm. everything to be properly warmed up. So when we say bouncy, like what, what is going on in the body that makes the body feel bouncy? Cause I feel like that's such a good feeling when you have that <laughs> and like distance running will definitely steal that from you. Like I remember doing plyos with Ryan at the end of his career and like, he couldn't do box jumps at the end of it, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, which is crazy when like a 205 marathoner can't do box jumps. So what I've, what I've seen, or I just, what I've experienced with the, the plyometrics is, is when you're, it's talk, it's about really about the force and how creating stiffness in the body. Um, so a good example, uh, I think of a drill that we do is a, a depth jump where you, where you, it doesn't have to be a high box, but you're you're just stepping off and you're trying to create stiffness in your in your ligaments to to create the stiffness of the gravity of the impact, right? And it's doing little things like that to create stiffness because as we're doing those type of jumping and um, there's some other little things far as um, you know the ranges of movement in you know, in your feet and rolling out your feet and those type of things that can really help do those type of things as well. But what I've seen with the high school athletes is doing those depth jumps and just doing little hops creates that stiffness is what you want in the elasticity of that. Because when you're getting ready to say jump, all of this, you're getting ready to recoil and, and jump. So all the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I guess it's the elasticity it stretches and then once you come up, it recoils. Mm. And and so what I've seen just in just doing with athletes is that as we jump, it creates more of a stiffness and allows them to be bouncy. Now there's research out there and they talk about all the little details, but I've seen it where when we jump in our weight training program, we jump at least once or twice a week. And some of the athletes that I've had, they I mean they're 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 almost levitating when they're jumping over the box. They're holding it and they're coming on because of the jumping and the elasticity that's happening when you're pre prepping your body to jump and all of that over time is, is what's happening. So is it way. like the ability to create stiffness quickly? Correct. That's, that's the best way to put it. Simple. Yes. And it, it truly, like what I think, I know there was a, I was, when we were looking, I was thinking about what are the like four things, like if we just 
cut and dry, what are the four things that help you become a better sprinter or what I like to say, a better athlete? Some type of sprinting, do some type of jumping. It could be low pogos, high pogos, depth jumps, box jumps, any type of jumping where you're bouncing. The lifting piece is one and also the range of motion. Now, all, those are a general, that's general. That's 30,000 foot, that's 30,000 foot yeah. view. And each, <laughs> each four of these things, you can really get into, like you can dive deep into those, but those are the four things from a general perspective that I see as a coach and what, what I've seen over you know my years of coaching is there has to be some type of sprint, jump, lift, and ranges of motion that needs to be implemented through all athletes, not just sprinters, all athletes that really help them optimize their performance. So I've got a question about the last piece, the range of motion. <laughs> we, do, we do a fair amount of um, prescribing of mobility for our endurance mm -hmm. athletes. And Mitch does a wonderful job of like designing those programs and giving them to us coaches to be able to deliver. I've been experienced, I've been experimenting back to a little bit more static stretching, mm -hmm. especially post run. And, and essentially that's like yoga, but, but I like the basic static stretches, hamstring, quad, pretzel stretch, a couple others. And I know like from my, like remembering back to watching you guys in college and watching you guys at the track, even what is the, what is the emphasis that you have and where do you put your static stretching? So I'm going to tell you what we do far as when we're talking about ranges of motion and then we can typically in the weight room, what we subscribe to sprint free is the first thing we're going to do <clears throat> is we're going to roll out the foot. Okay. That's number one. All right. We're going to roll out the foot because a lot of the tension that we have in certain areas of our body, um, while we feel certain things, maybe tight hips, tight, this tight, that, um, the foot rolling out the foot helps that. I know, uh, Jay, you and I have talked about, there's a, I can't remember who did it. I, I don't know the name of the individual, but they had this group of people and they said, Hey, just bend down and touch your toes. Right. And they did. And, you know, they were, they went down as far as they could. He said, all right, well, let's, let's roll out your foot. You know, I can't remember how long it was, Jay, but he, they roll out their foot, you know, both feet. And then let's do it again. And you saw that everyone was able to add it, maybe an inch or two to their to their two stretch. inches, yeah, two inches, half. okay, two inches, just by rolling out their foot. That just rolling out your foot created another two inches of range of motion through the hamstring, through the butt, all the those things just by doing that, okay. So, rolling out the foot is what we do typically before any type of workout, whether it's in the gym and the lifting or on the track, rolling out all those type of things to really work on just basic range of motion. We'll do the leg swings, to open up the hips, the lunges with the twist, putting the body in different ranges of motion actually helps um, the mobility. And it goes into something that Jada, I've talked about that I'm still learning about is that the, the fascia system or those connective tissues that really 
uh, benefit that can be beneficial for athletes. What What about the static stretching post workout? Oh, yeah, it's it's perfect. How, how much of that are you guys doing? Oh, at least ten minutes. At least ten minutes. We after the workout's done, we'll say, "Hey, look, ten minutes. We're going to do static stretching. We'll roll out." So it's at least at least ten minutes after practice that we're doing that every single practice. Have Chad, them on the clock. I, I think that's something that the endurance athletes tend to fail at pretty miserably, at least in my observation. Yeah, I I think that range of motion is huge, and I I like that you kind of boil it down to four things that you need because they it all makes sense, right? I think it all makes sense for just creating a basis for being like a good runner right and i think mm -hmm. sprinting at the end of it i think being a good sprinter means that you have a good basis to be a good distance runner right like if you don't mm -hmm. have that basis like you're just lacking some components there but certainly range of motion it's funny jay because i've actually been doing some more static stretching too like rope stretching mm -hmm. but maybe just not like i used to always go in and out of it like pretty frequently yep. and now i'm kind of holding a little bit longer because like i'm just tight and i'm like i need to be more flexible and like i kind of mm -hmm. have to force the issue with this a little bit because honestly it's like sometimes it's like things just don't get loosened up unless they put some effort into it yeah. it's <laughs> yeah. uh it's, it's interesting because so like the like i said before i deal with a lot of high school athletes and i, I typically see some of them a couple of days out of the week and you can tell them all day long, hey, I need you to stretch. I need you to do all these things. And they're like, all right, coach. Yeah, 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 we'll, we'll do it. These high school kids ain't doing it. So as a coach, it's our responsibility. All right, well, if you ain't going to do it at home, 10 minutes. Here we go. It's part of practice. And stretching it out, you know, doing lunges, side lunges, twisting, a lot of a lot of um, individuals don't twist as much and hold. You know, we do a lot of sagittal movements where we're coming this way, but sometimes we never twist. You know, through the spine and all these different types of things that really increase the range of motion. Um, so it's it's definitely vital to do it at the end of practice or even some a little bit before, depending on the um, what you're doing. So a question, follow up question on the range of motion thing, because. I think the foot is interesting, right? Like, and I think that's super cool. You can roll your foot and get more mobility there. And like something that I've noticed with myself as well, when I put a lot of emphasis on working on my feet, cause like, it's funny when we're fitting cyclists for like their bike fit, like you focus on contact points. And so like, same thing with running, it's like our contact points with the ground, there's just two of them, right? So it's like mm -hmm. pretty important. Um, but what do you think about, so like, running we have all these rotational things happening right and i think you mm -hmm. see it in a more dramatic way and people are sprinting what about like back hip like what things do you think maybe distance runners aren't paying attention to that you're paying attention to in sprint training so some of the things as far as sprinting what we focus on i like to focus really on the the hip uh the really hip area because in sprinting it's such a dominant um Move, uh, hip area is very dominant in sprinting. So my question I always ask is how can I, you know, open up the hips of the athletes and, you know, create them, you know, more, you know, flexible in their hip in interior and, uh, well, interior and posterior type, type movements. And what can we do for that? Because just like mostly sprinters are very tight in the hips. So we focus on 
just getting a band or putting around our, our knees, doing step outs, you know, working um, to the right, to the left, um, kickbacks. Um, but I, I think just what I've seen just, and it's a lot of sprinters, I think that if we spend time just focusing on the, the hip mobility some, in some form of fashion in our training, it could be every day doing little things that's really going to, to help those, those certain things. Um, and so it's, it's something that we do often, I would say every day at practice, but just being intentional, being intentional about the stretching or moving the mobility through your hips and such would really help a whole lot. Um, like we have one athlete, like I was saying, is that, you know, he's got tight hips and he's got hamstring tightness. And mostly when your hamstrings tight, it can come from the hip. It's usually up or down. It could be the hip or it could be the foot. So it, where it starts. So really working the hip um, is another way that can, that can help. So um, I'm a big component of, of doing hip mobility. And that's what we do. How, how do you work like the front side of the hip, like the whole hip flexor group? Cause I feel like for distance runners, I definitely noticed this myself. It's like, I think I probably have some stride length that I'm leaving out. And I think that probably creates other issues as well. Like, is that mostly like a stretching thing? Or are you doing like any strengthening specific stuff for like the front side? So two things. The first thing I would do in the, in the weight room is typically I'll have, um, them get down in a lunge and kind of do like a hold, like a good deep lunge and let them hold and, and sit in there for, for a few seconds and, and um, really just inhale, exhale and get deeper in, into that stretch in the weight room um, from, from a weight room standpoint. I mean, there's certain stretches that, that you, we can, that we do where, you know, now we get down, put, we get down on our knee and really stretch it out where you actually can feel near that, that psoas muscle there. And then really just almost like yoga, hand straight up, dip to the side and really stretch that thing out. Um, it's, uh, it's one of our favorite drills that we like doing because in that, especially from a sprinter standpoint, we see a lot of psoas tightness in there. So we typically just get down almost in a, on, a, on a knee and then we stretch it all the way out and depending how you turn your foot, you can get a different one. You can, if you turn it in, you can get it more uh, inner. If you turn your foot out, you get it more out, outside of the, um, the psoas a little bit. Um, but just, those are just some of the things that, that we do, or at least one of the things that comes to my, my mind right now. Yeah, interesting. Yep. Um, and so I think to kind of go back through some stuff, because I think another thing that I wanted to touch on that you're talking about with the, and Jay, I think you mentioned that about building that tension very quickly, right? Is I think that sometimes I think amateur distance runners think about running in a way that's like, it's almost like the effort is like hitting and then you're like pushing and regenerating speed. And to that mm -hmm. point of being bouncy, like when you watch Kip Choge run, I think you can really see in real time what that looks like when somebody is mm -hmm. kind of like preloaded, they impact the ground and it's like, we call it bouncy because it feels almost effortless, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, I think that tension is where it's almost like you've done the work beforehand, right? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, by the time you hit the ground, it's like, bam, you're just, you're just transitioning all that momentum forward. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, so something that I think sprinting like probably hits really well that sometimes distance runners, I think we may not think about that component. Mm -hmm. 
No, yeah. it's uh, it's like like I continue to say, it's those adding sprinting at least once in starting, like we've talked about, like starting very safe, ten or twenty, and and working your way up. I I do think it's something that's worth implementing into training, and it doesn't have to get crazy. You know, I don't not two to three times out of the week. I think that will that will be a, a disservice to to the distance runners, but at least once a week where you're doing some type of sprinting, I believe will you'll see an impact. And I would yeah, the the goal is to see an impact, but also like I think especially I'm just speaking for like athletes that are starting later, right? Like 40 and over, 35 yeah. and over. The other thing we've got to realize too is we're looking for marginal gains. We're not gonna we're not gonna recreate Kipchoge's thirty decades of bounciness in six weeks, and we're also not gonna be able to change our form, and we probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Like so, paying attention to that bone structure, tendon, how things are lined up for you, and not getting into that sticky web of comparison, but Correct. instead trying to make small improvements. And again, man, that's where, man, I've had a coach for 27 years and that's where I hugely believe in coaching and having somebody that can help you not go down the path of like instantly changing your form and creating an injury. Correct. Yeah. They, they were, um, there's one of the, I was going through a, when I was getting some certifications where I was going through a class and they were talking about that specific thing, like you have to be very careful depending on the athletes, especially their training age, you know, how old are they, you know, if they're in their 25 or 28 and you're thinking about changing, you know, the way they run, you know, is it really beneficial? You know, are they already, you know, they're already running at a high level. So is it truly worth changing that or, you know, and so you have to really think through that as, you know, as a coach to see, you know, is it something that you, we can deal with or can we make maybe, maybe small tweaks, tweaks, that, tweaks yeah. you know, just, yeah. but not changing it completely because then it, then it could really be doing a disservice for that, for that athlete, you know, as a whole and how they perform. Yeah. So is that talking about changing form with like, like address, like giving them cues, right? Or like, so if you're changing it through, like you're saying, doing some of those, like, um, I think you call them wicket drills, right? Or like hill sprints is that like a safer natural way like if it just happens on its own because you're putting the body in a good position is that like a totally fine way of changing your stride correct yeah those that is definitely a a safe way because it puts the body without giving it a cue in a in a natural natural state of how you should run that's why i suggest that wicket drills are really good because it puts your body um in that right position and you don't have to cue it and um, and sometimes when you're doing it first, mm-hmm. what I've seen too with the wickets is when you're going into it first time. Sometimes athletes will try will will sink their hips, okay, where they're kind of running through and not really getting the full extension of the hip. And so you just really have to use a coach's eye to make sure that they're up tall. And there's there's different ways you can do that. You can put a what we do at practice. We put like a hurdle top and make them put it over their head because it forces their hip, that hip extension all the way up to help them be fully extended through the hip so they don't sit. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so just those little things, you just got to be have a coach's eye when you're going through that, um, that you're not being sinking of the hip and making sure you're up. But wickets are very safe to do. It's helpful. Nice. <clears throat> Nice. So let's like kind of use this uh, template of like the the runner who's maybe like in their forties getting into sprinting. Um, okay, so we got kind of an example of workout of like how to start sprinting. So we're saying like twenty meters to get going, and then I assume that that's just something that progressively over time, like you might get. I would imagine you might even get sore from sprinting if you're not sprinting at all, even twenty you meters. Do. Right? <laughs> yeah, you'd be, you'd be surprised. Uh, uh, I had another one of the athletes that sprint free. Uh, they, um, like I said, they've never s- sprinted before. And we slowly progressed into that. And the next day he was like, coach, I'm sore. <laughs> and all he did was 30 meter sprints, but it's a new stimulus. Yeah. And so, and that's another thing that we really, we kind of brushed up, brushed over, but not really talked about is that when you're implementing that sprinting for the first time, it's going to be a new stimulus to the body. Which is good, which yeah. is good if you do it in a safe environment. And now the body is so smart. We're, we're truly wonderfully made by Christ. It's, it's, it's amazing that now when that, that soreness is a good sign and that your body is going to be able to adapt with proper recovery and all that, that the next time you do that, you're going to, okay, I know what this is now. Now we can, I can go a little bit further. That, that's, that's another thing to think about. What is, what's the body doing mm. when you're, when you're sprinting so Safeway yes you know they're, they're gonna they probably be sore which is not to be afraid of that's a part of the body processing a new stimulus and how to adapt to that so that will come up depending on if you've never sprint before we see that a lot yeah which I think as distance runners sometimes we think so much of like workload that we're like oh like we're thinking about just the cumulative thing that we can look at at the end of it be like I did so many miles at this pace or whatever mm-hmm. um but I think that's a good way of reframing it is like if you're getting sore it means you're making some adaptation the body that it wasn't prepared for right and I think that's a good positive thing so it might actually you might be surprised like maybe I think we talked about maybe that could be a good like um day before a, a longer workout routine but maybe when you're getting started you give yourself like a day of recovery after that to just make sure you're giving the body like appropriate time to deal with it so then how would you know like how to progress it like when that soreness stops um popping up after that one like is that when you're kind of ready to move on to maybe a little bit longer reps is that how you progress that workout yeah that's that's how i typically progress it is watch the athlete and depending on how they feel, uh, typically a rule of thumb when, when you're doing sprinting in, in the sprinting world is if when you sprint, usually it's 48 to 72 hours before you should do another like sprint workout because it's such a neuromuscular tap on the nervous system that you got to make sure that you properly recover. So those are a good rule of thumb, 48 to 72 hours before another sprint bout. Um, and then to see, see how they feel and just, Hey, 20 felt good, you know, for the first couple of weeks, then let's go 30 and 40 um, and doing three or four reps. That's what I want to make sure that we land the plane is that we're not doing 10 reps. We're doing, you know, say three to four reps of sprinting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, when you start doing more, then it gets to a whole different type of a workout, which is it doesn't involve sprinting. That's some other 
uh, glycolytics, speed, and all, all that stuff that we can talk about at a later date. But keeping the reps, three to four reps, all out, all out, full recovery uh, will, will help. But progressing is uh, within a week or two, depending on how they feel. Yeah, I like that. So, and again, distance runners, we tend to get distance oriented. The goal is to not just build out your sprint workout to be a big, beefy thing. It's to get like really good quality in a precise amount of time, right? You use chat, use the, the probably the best word of this podcast is quality. Is is that word is is very key. Is we want quality, not quantity. And that's what you want when you're sprinting, is the quality of it. And as you progress, you know, if as you progress and feel good that 40s seem to be easy, then you you move up, you know, and then it just it's you 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 gotta be patient. And I think that I think that's a sometimes hard for all of us, not just as athletes or coaches, because we get so in a hurry, is that this is a process and we have to be patient and it's not gonna happen tomorrow. But if you keep doing it, little doses here and there, I mean, in 30 to 45 days, you, you, you're, you're going to see some type of result. So one of the things I love about that word quality is we talk a lot with our athletes in just like our culture in run free. And I know in sprint free as well is all about enjoying the experience and creating, uh, not just uh, task-oriented goals, but like experiential goals and really like mm-hmm. digging deep. And I can speak from experience as a distance runner that sprinting is a skill and it is a skill that requires quality. And the coolest thing about sprinting when you really get into it and when you take that six minutes rest or five minutes rest is how much skill you can feel when you're sprinting correctly. Mm -hmm. Like it is truly an experience to get out there and have five to six minutes to focus on a 30 to 40 meter sprint and Mm -hmm. to think about, okay, I'm going to get off the line. Good. I'm going to drive really good with my hips. I'm going to pop off the ground. My hands are going to be in the right position. There's actually so much to think about. It's not boring. It's mm-hmm. very stimulating and like exciting of an experience to, to feel. And especially as a distance runner, Chad, like you're talking about with all this quantity, sometimes we're just like uh, guilty of going out there and doing stuff. Yeah. And not mm-hmm. doing it with intentionality and quality. So it's really fun to like enjoy that depth. Like there's so much depth. It's surprising the depth of sprinting that you can get from a six second effort. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm telling you, it's, um, it's, it's crazy. It's um, that you really see a bang for your buck in the quality and it's, and it's not many reps. It's, it's insane. If you do it, do it right. And it's so mentally and physically and emotionally stimulating. Like you just feel alive when you hit a really good, Mm-hmm. 40 <laughs> yeah it is it's uh so you know uh, as a as a sprint coach in my in my own workouts hey your boy is sprinting once a week it's it you know i may do you know i'm not a distance runner but i'll get out there and do my 20 minute run as a as my 
as a nice little shakeout. And my main thing is those sprints, those three to four bouts. And when I'm when I after that, I'll sit around and I'm done. Once it's, once I knocked out three or four, hey, I'm done. Fit eight in my hand. All right, baby, where you at? Time to go home and check <laughs> on the wall. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so so on this point of quality. Because I, yeah, I mean, I've definitely felt that myself where it's like, I, I like the shift in mindset of it's not about just getting the work done. It's about doing, you know, minimal amount of work really well. How do you, like, are there cues, are there things that you're thinking about uh, during, like, getting ready for the rep, doing the rep that are important for, like, making sure, like, are you thinking knee drive? Are you thinking, like, what are the thoughts in your head to, like, kind of maximize that time while you're actually sprinting? So, Typically, what if I give a cue to an athlete? If I if I'm when I'm there, or if I'm there, I try to give them one cue. And when it involves sprinting, is really lifting the heel when you're sprinting, really getting the heel up near the butt. Okay. Right. Because the higher the heel, the knee goes with it, and so you want to make sure that the heel is up. Okay. Because the higher the heel, the higher the knee that's more force that can be generated when you hit the ground, mm -hmm. which propels you forward. So the one cue that I do tell or say to athletes is heel up, heel near the butt. That's very simple. And they know what that means because then naturally, if I think heel get heel up to the butt, a lot of things are happening. Knee is coming up a, a huge, a lot of the hip movement is getting high. So now I can put force into the ground, which helps me propel forward uh, while sprinting. Nice. Okay. So heal up. That's, I haven't used that one. I'll be curious to go and try that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so like, uh, as distance runners, like fly starts to get started, should we just stay there? Is there any reason to ever do like, um, like standing starts or like more of that drive phase? No, I I mean, if they want to, it's fine. I mean, it's just whatever you, where you they think is best. But typically, I would just say just kind of build into it, a fly-in, you know, for, for 20, and, and then they'll be fine. Because really, the whole crux, you know, they're distance runners, so we want to make sure that we keep that the foundation. But for sprinting, we just want to incorporate the top-end speed. So just a fly-in will be perfect for them. Like a fly-in 30 or something like that will be would be great. As long as they're running as fast as they can, that's the goal. Cool. Okay. So this beginner sprinter here. So then also lifting, what, what would be some lifts that would be good to start off with in conjunction with, you know, starting off uh, this sprinting journey? So I always, I always say that the sprinting and the lifting should always complement each other uh, because of the nervous system and what you're doing. So a couple, uh, I always say one Olympic lift. So your, your power cleans or your, your snatches or, uh, or a um, split jerk, those type of things, um, deadlift or no, those are other good little, um, good lifting, but power clean snatches, and then some type of jumping in the weight room is what we always do in the weight room. At least those things, if we do those things, I'm a happy camper in the, in the weight room. Um, because I want to make sure that in sprinting, when we're it has to be compatible what you're doing on the track. Mm. In those lifts, the power cleans, the snatches, 
the, the, the jump squats, the deadlifting, back squats, you can throw that in there. Those all mimic what we do on the track. Um, so those are some a good rule of thumbs that I would yeah. suggest to anybody um, to start implementing. So yeah, focusing on like real explosive movements in the gym Real too. explosive, real yeah. explosive movements. And, um, and I think that um, they'll, they'll definitely see some, some results because we got to, and I think I've said, said this to, today is we got to think about what the body's doing. And so we are training, we're training the athlete, but we're also training the body and what it, what it does and how it responds to certain things. So, um, but yeah, Olympic lifting is uh, is definitely a, a key. So say if you're like maybe an older athlete or you just maybe like struggle with coordination in the gym, do you think like kettlebell alternatives to that are, are effective enough? Yes, absolutely. Cool. Um, yeah, Cause I think do, that's uh, a little bit more accessible to like, you know, like snatching a kettlebell bell correct. might not be as uh, crazy. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. That's some of that stuff we, we do certain days. Um, we'll get a kettlebell and we'll do a like lightweight snatch and, you know, s- splat into a, a split lunge and all that. So kettlebells are good. It's just whatever you have accessible that whatever weights that you have, it can be utilized. So kettlebells are definitely well, a good alternative. And, and it sounds like that you were recommending before that jump rope is a wonderful place. Oh to yeah. The jumping. Stuff. It is the jumping, the jump rope. It's uh, it's fantastic. And you get the, the bounce and it actually helps those, your feet and all the connective tissues in your feet, the bouncing truly, truly helps. So that's a, a, a yeah, good place we, to start. We've got some 60 year old, 70 year old athletes and, and it it's like, Hey, we don't want to create a scenario where we're excited about something. Oh, but you can't do it. Yeah. You know, yeah, we, yeah. we want to modify, we want to yeah. modify that to where it's accessible for everyone to make gains. I think everybody can jump rope. And oh, even, yeah. even if it was, uh, Hey, we're going to jump three in a row, take a break. We're going to jump three in a row, take a break. Like there's always a modification that can be done. I think Correct. when people think of jumping, they automatically, at least in my mind, I go to like how hard it would be to do like a series of 10 box jumps in a row, you know, when my legs are just trashed from a super long workout, but it doesn't have to be that we can, we can modify it for the day, for the week, for the athlete. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that'd be my suggestion too. Like, I think these four principles that you're working with, they're four foundational things that you're doing. I think those are just great, like health things overall too. So I'd say like, wherever you guys find yourself, I think creating a pathway, right? So it's like maybe jump roping is the beginning to you being able to do some plyometric movements in the future, right? But it's like you got to start that path somewhere. Correct. I love that. That's a real good point, Chad. Yeah. Um, so then range of motion, like, um, you know, we touched on this a little bit. What do you think is like a good starting place or where would you suggest people start with range of motion? Um, I would say um, just doing body weight, like, like lunges to the side, side lunges, like ranges of motion. So what I, what I mean by that is just putting your body in just different positions. So just what we do at the end of every lifting a session we I call it the the fascia stretching is what I, I keep talking about fascia because I'm learning about this connective tissue and how um, it adapts to different ranges of motion. So 
um, putting yourself into different positions. So doing maybe doing yoga is another is another form of putting your body in a, a different ranges of motion to help that. Um, you know, and so I would say if I could say wrap up that one thing is that implementing some type of yoga where you're putting in where you're going in different directions with your body and holding it. All of those are really good uh, benefits for longevity, right? Because if we're able to have more range of motion and we're able to withstand some of that, that's going to help us as we get older. And there's been research and studies about, you know, yoga and different, putting your body in different ranges of motion that can increase your longevity for a long period of time. Nice. Shout out Liz for doing our in-house yoga videos. Yoga. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I, I, I wish, I, I hope, um, and wish, you know, more, um, more people will even after uh, just sprinters in general, I'm talking verse that will want to do yoga more because it's, it's truly a benefit. And, and I think that, um, it's super, super helpful that, um, that we put those, that we do that for our body. Yeah. Listen, so you, I wasn't, I wasn't a believer a few years ago until I started really studying and getting an understanding of what's actually happening when you're doing yoga and when you're putting yourself in those situations. Interesting. Yeah, that's good to know. Cause I feel like the worry with the static stretching is that maybe you lose some like muscle tension, right? That's one of the concerns. So you're not finding that at all though, with like yoga, you find it only beneficial. I'll, I'll see it only beneficial. Uh, I would say for, for anybody, at least doing like once a week or 20 minutes, it's, it's 20 minutes to doing some type of yoga and all that is really going to benefit is going to benefit there. I'm it seems like that. to me, as long as you're, as long as you're lifting and jumping and training and doing the other mm -hmm. things, I think you are going to lose some of your muscular tension. Mm -hmm. If you have a weak muscle that you're taking through too big of a range of motion mm -hmm. and you're doing it all the time, and you're just creating like this floppy noodle of joints, but, <laughs> but I just find that highly unlikely for the, most of the athletes that we're working with, they're highly mm. motivated people. They want to accomplish their goals. They're running mm. a lot, lifting a lot. Probably we're never going to be doing quite to that level where it could impact it negatively mm. and i've thought i've had that same thought before chad with myself well, i want want to lose my elasticity but <laughs> I'm, I'm floating back towards the mentality of hey man i better start doing more of this and actually let how you feel be a be a gauge like mm -hmm. i just feel better when i do more static stretching so i've yeah. been spending a lot of time on the floor Mm -hmm. Like when I've, when I'm talking to the family or in between making dinner or, you know, hanging out, like we just leave our mats on the living room floor and everybody's on the floor more often, which is actually a recommendation that our 1% coach Mitchell made, uh, at just camp leave, one leave your stuff out. <laughs> so this, is great. this is actually great. So Mitchell did this talk at camp one year and we're in this conference room and uh, before anyone got in there, he took all the chairs and he put them up. And he goes, hey, guys, for the rest of the camp, no one's sitting in a chair. Mm -hmm. Like chairs are the worst thing. You can <laughs> and you and he's, he's so awesome. 
He was like, you should never sit in a chair again. <laughs> I don't know if Mitchell owns chairs. He probably just has <laughs> <laughs> open seating on the ground. Whenever yeah. I talk to him on a Zoom call or whatever, he is always on the ground. Yeah. And I, I think he's right. He's yeah. right. It's so, so much healthier. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Well, well um, hey, I got one thing I want to say but before we go. <clears throat> I want to make sure that um, our listeners know, number one, that Sprint Free is ready for more athletes. And also, um, yeah, where to find you, Bradley. Um, obviously, they can email any of us through Run Free, but where to find Sprint Free. And then also, like uh, the fact that you're not just working with athletes in person, but you're coaching remotely and all ages too. So yeah, give us a little, a uh, little bit about that. Yep. So, um, sprintfree.com is, um, is where our website is. We're also on uh, Instagram as well as at sprint free training. Um, and so that's where you can find us. I actually, um, we actually have a little sprint free giveaway, um, on, uh, there's a link, on our Instagram where just some of the things that we talked about, like the, the four broad, broad ideas of the sprint lift and jump and range of motion that we have out there just for someone who want to try those principles that we've talked about. So uh, the link is actually in our uh, bio on Instagram. And um, if you use the promo code, if you use the promo code, it'll print, I think it's like a dollar or something uh, because train her has to get their fees. So <laughs> So, uh, but no, that's where we're at, um, sprintfreetraining.com, and uh, we're on Instagram again. And so we're just, we're here to, to help and serve. And I think that what we've learned is that you have to train the whole athlete and you got to know who they are and training, um, just taking those doses of all the four key components that we talked about um, and implementing it to how it's going to fit that athlete. So uh, that's where you can find us. And then if you want to just find me, me, <laughs> Two Swole Moon is my IG, IG account. Number Two Swole Moon is, is what I got. Two Swole <laughs> Moon. Two Swole Moon, <laughs> I yes. like it. Uh, I hadn't changed it. One of my buddies were, uh, when, I, when, I, when social media became a big thing years ago, and we were all trying to think, what's going to be our, our little ID and all that? And at that time, Chad, I was probably like 195 pounds. I was pretty big yeah. playing football. And yeah, so you know what? Too slow moon. Let's, <laughs> let's call it that. So I never changed it. Never changed it. And at some awesome. point you were like, I am too swole. I think I need to. <laughs> not not it down. so much anymore, man. Not so much anymore. Man. About, about 25 pounds lighter now. Yeah. Lean, yeah. lean and mean. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I like it. Well, we'll put um, we'll put a link to Sprint Free Training in the description of the podcast. And Bradley, thanks for coming on. I know this has uh, been really cool. I mean, I'm definitely going to apply it. I think a lot of the things that we talked about here, I think especially like the jumping, the high heel, like there's so many different little nuggets that I'm going to take away. So I hope you guys all got a lot out of it too. And maybe we'll bring uh, Bradley back on and get a little bit more in depth in a future episode because I think there's still... I would imagine a lot to talk about. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, thank you for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. And uh, hopefully that uh, what we share was something that they can take away and be impactful. And remember always to, to serve and love the people that we're around.
Love it.